The views, comments, or opinions expressed in this podcast are those of their respective contributors alone. Views, comments, or opinions expressed do not necessarily represent the views of John Brown University or any employees thereof. John Brown University is not responsible for any errors, omissions, or accuracy of the content and disclaims any and all liability for the content of this podcast and comments written by any contributors, viewers, or listeners. Welcome to The Conversation, a show dedicated to long-form discussions with important public figures on the issues of the day. I'm Maury Phillips, your host. This fall, voters across the country will go to make their voices heard on a variety of races and issues. There's obviously the presidential race between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. In the state of Arkansas, one of the most well-known senators in the country, Senator Tom Cotton, is running for re-election. Both races are very important for the future of our country, and it is very important to be knowledgeable of the candidates and their stances on the issues. But another component of the 2020 ballot that has flown under the radar is the three ballot issues here in the state of Arkansas. All three will have an impact on our lives as Arkansans, so it is very important and crucial that you are knowledgeable of the issues that you are going to be voting for or against when you go to the polls this fall. Today, we welcome Kristen Higgins to the conversation to talk with me about this year's ballot issues. Higgins is the president of Arkansas Press Women and is a self-described fan of policy and ballot issue education. She assists in informing the state of Arkansas on both sides of the issues that are on the ballot. I'll be breaking down what's on the ballot with her, and I'll also discuss some of her past work in the media and how student media is important for a more knowledgeable student body, especially in an election year as polarized as this one. All of that and more coming up on The Conversation. Welcome to the show, Ms. Higgins. Hello, thanks for having me today. So I described some of your roles that you have around the state, but would you please describe them just in your own words, uh, just describing your background, what you do? I'm sure you could probably explain it better than I could. Well, I have a lot of hats that I wear. You mentioned a few of them already. Um, so my job is to provide some policy education uh, to the public through the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture in the Public Policy Center. And that's a really long name for being part of the Cooperative Extension Service. And depending on who you are, your age, where you live, in the state, or even in the country, you might have a different name for the organization, like co-op or extension. Uh, so I've, I've been working there for the past, um, oh my goodness, uh, I've already lost track of how long I've been working there, since 2012. Uh, and I've been in the Public Policy Center that whole time, so that's where the, the policy you know, work comes from. And I am a fan of policy, and I was a fan for policy for a long time before I came to work in this position. So, you know, that's my work side where I do a whole lot of education and writing for the public on different policy issues and trying to give them some information in a way that's more understandable, you know, breaking down that um, jargon, that um, really scientific language into, you know, words we use every day when we're talking. And then you mentioned my other hat, you know, in my um, non-work life, I am president of Arkansas Press Women. It's an organization that's been around since 1949, made up of professional communicators across the state. Uh, APW was partially founded by Roberta Fulbright uh, in 1949 as a way to provide women with an outlet to have more of a, a say in um 
journalism across the state. Um, back then, many newspapers were owned by husbands and wives, and they both did a lot of work. But uh, women didn't have the opportunity to compete or enter their work in the competition. So that kind of started back then, and it's evolved. And now, you know, there are male members. It's not just women, but we've retained that name, that historic name. So I've been president of APW uh, since 2017, and um, it's just, you know, it kind of continues along um, from something I used to do. I used to be a newspaper reporter and have been very involved with APW since my first year in journalism, and I've kept with it. Um, even after changing jobs, switching careers, uh, because I'm still doing, you know, a lot of the same, uh, researching, writing, and engaging with the public. So you've worked in many different roles throughout the state through your career. Would you please explain how some of your past experiences, I know that you've worked in media, particularly student media, you've actually worked with one of our comm department professors here at John Brown University, Professor Debbie Miller. I'm sure this isn't the last time we'll be bringing her up on this episode. Maybe she's listening. But anyway, so how would you say some of your past experiences have led you to where you are today? Well, you know, I just go back to when I was uh, a teenager. I was always very interested in uh, newspapers. Uh, you know, my uh, great-grandfather actually owned one of the newspapers that's in Bentonville, Arkansas, um, that is long since gone. Uh, but, you know, I grew up hearing those stories about um, him treating advertisements for food during the Great Depression and just, you know, how they made it through that life. And I don't know if it was that, but I've just always had this curiosity and liked to write. Um, writing was uh, my hobby for a very long time and got into that in school, uh, you know, uh, junior high, high school, and then eventually college, uh, the Arkansas Traveler at the University of Arkansas. We published four days a week, so we were right up there with, you know, like the daily newspaper, putting out a lot of information. Uh, we kind of saw them as our competitors. I'm sure they did not think the same, likewise. Um, but so then, uh, you know, I graduated from there and uh, went to go work for Debbie Miller. Uh, she was my first boss out of college, and... Um, when I interviewed for that job, or just before I interviewed for that job, uh, it was being described to me as covering the quorum court. And at that time, I had no idea what a quorum court was. I just knew that I would like a job. And I mentioned, you know, as I was a little bit younger, I was curious, and I would always read the newspaper. I always feel like I have to, to justify that, because not many teenagers around reading newspapers, but I did, and I remember very vividly um, seeing a story about the local millage rate and how there was an election coming up, and nowhere in that article did it explain what a millage rate was, so I was trying to come up with what it was and justify, you know, like using logic or whatever, thinking, okay, well, millage, okay, well, maybe it's mileage, and maybe it has to do with the miles that buses have to go. So they're going to base your taxes on how far your school bus goes. Of course, now, many years later, I know that that is not what millage means. That's not even close to what it means, but that memory stays with me because not many people use that word. Not many people understand what that is. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to quorum court covering that. I didn't know what a quorum court was. 
But I soon found out that, you know, quorum courts have a lot of uh, say in your daily life as a county citizen. They're responsible for approving the budget for, uh, you know, the county jail, the sheriff's department, but safety for your community. They're in charge of approving the budget for the road department that paves your roadways. So that's transportation. So they have a very important part in our daily lives that, um, as a young person, I had no clue. But I, I take those examples with me through my life to my work today that, um, I, I like to think about things from, you know, if someone's just hearing about this for the first time and they, they want to be involved or they have some concerns, how can I best explain something to them? And so Debbie was my first boss and she was wonderful um, in getting me involved and introducing me and sharing with me the, the joys of what Quorum Court was. And um, she actually, you know, she got me involved with Arkansas Press Women. She said, here's this group, you're going to join. You're going to compete. You're going to have your work recognized. And I, I still credit her to this day for those life lessons. Yeah, and Prof. Miller's done a great job in advocating for students here at John Brown University. So I want to ask you about student media. You work for the Arkansas Traveler. I mean, here at JBU, we've got the threefold advocate. I'd like to think we're pretty busy, but we put out issues once every two weeks normally. You guys put out issues four times a week. That's that's quite a bit. I assume you had a bigger staff, though. Is that right? We did have a big staff. Um, we did have, you know, our own, you know, uh, lifestyle editor, sports editor. I was managing editor for our main editor. So we had a photo editor. So we did have, you know, quite a, a bit of staff, but we also had um, staff writers, you know, who would uh, come in and uh, submit articles. We would assign them. Um, same thing with photography. We had a list of people interested in photography. But, you know, this is 20 years ago, so it's changed a lot. You're not going to find the Arkansas Traveler published four times a week, much less once a week. So the format has kind of changed to more of an online presence. And uh, while, you know, they're still getting the information out there, I don't think anything's going to take away from the glory days. We worked so hard four days a week. Uh, I'm sure we were spending more time in the newsroom than we were in class. And actually, I saw somebody uh, somewhere out there in, in the Twitter world post something a week ago about how student journalism is more of a major in newspapering than in whatever you're there for, for attending class. And even, you know, 20 years ago, that was very true. That was very true. Yeah, and I would say the threefold things are really busy. I know uh, that our executive editor, Catherine's always in the threefold offices. I always see her there now. Regarding that, I will say, again, I agree, it's all going digital. I know that we at the Threefold have also been discussing in meetings, like, how are we going to adapt? Because we still do have the print issues. Uh, we still do that every two weeks. But we're also trying to shift a lot of things online. Because that's, again, where it all is nowadays. Most people, when they get their news, they get it from online, I think. Now, I want to ask, what do you think about student media? How important is it in informing the public, particularly during an election year, especially one as polarized as what we're getting in 2020? Well, student media is extremely important, no matter what format it takes, whether it's in print or online. And I actually I still really value printed materials because I think so much online is just being lost. It's becoming static. It's noise. Whereas that printed publication you can sit with and take some time with. 
And in many communities, unfortunately, they have no local newspaper. So if they are fortunate to have a university or a college or even, you know, a, a community college that has a publication, they're probably getting more coverage and community uh, work in that in publication. So that's why it's important for um, student media to still exist and hopefully uh, administrators and other people value the experience that it's giving students, but also the readers. Uh, it, I mean, where can you go for a lot of information these days? Um, unless someone's doing it for free, uh, you know, you're not going to find as much uh, dedicated to your community as a student than a student media outlet. And the same goes with, with politics um, that, uh, you know, you're learning about politics in college. You might have student government in college, and it's a good first exposure to how committees work, parliamentary procedure, um, everything like that. Um, and the... Uh, you know, if you have a local newspaper, they're probably not covering what's happening within student government. So that's very important. But also, student um, media gives an opportunity to uh, have a candidate come talk to you about um, their campaign or their issue in maybe less of a guarded way because you're not the, you know, traditional media source. So, you know, you might have an opportunity to have more time with them or, um, you know, just less uh, political spin, possibly. So the Threefold Advocate, they're going to be rolling out some big things for how they're covering the election. I'm not going to reveal too much on it, so everyone listening, make sure to stay tuned because, as I frequently say around campus, big things are on the horizon. But I want to ask you, Ms. Higgins, what advice would you have for anyone, particularly in student media, when it comes to covering this election? What advice would you give to, say, uh, the members of the Threefold Advocate? Do your research, look into some of the issues. Um, just like any other story, you want to be an informed reporter. You need to look and see what the different viewpoints are, expand the uh, types of media that you consume so that you have a bigger picture. And don't be afraid. You know, keep asking questions. Uh, don't think, oh, I'm just a student reporter, so it doesn't matter. Uh, you can do good work. Uh, you can break news stories. You can uh, provide a behind-the-scenes glimpse that uh, local media might not be able to. So, you know, keep keep it up. Uh, and, and hopefully, if you have that imposter syndrome, you know, hopefully you can overcome that because the work that you are doing does matter. Uh, so it just goes back to how else would you tackle any other story? You do your research, you find the people who you need to talk to, and you make sure that you're portraying the information in an accurate way um, and, and not necessarily falling uh, for political spin. Um, one of the favorite things that I remember uh, in my newsroom days was, I'm a reporter, not a recorder. So you're not just regurgitating what you're hearing. You're asking hard questions, and uh, you're, you're you're you know digging deep into the to the subject matter and giving it to the people in a way that they can understand and relate. Now, I also want to talk about Arkansas Presswoman. You briefly touched on it. You're a president of this organization, and our own Debbie Miller is the one that kind of led you to them. But would you please explain the 
organization, its goal, and its reach across the state of Arkansas? Arkansas Preston's goal is to provide an organization for communicators to belong to, uh, to network, to have fellowship, uh, to compete, um, and also for public service. Uh, we're a big supporter of the Freedom of Information Act. We're a big supporter of the First Amendment. And uh, we also like to give back. Uh, we have a scholarship that we've had going for quite some time where we provide a scholarship each year to a college student in Arkansas majoring in journalism and communication. We also host a high school contest um, for student journalists in high school. And, you know, it's been going on for a long time. And, um, you know, like any other organization, we have our ebbs and flows. Uh, we've been around since 1949. We've gone through one name change during that time. We were, I believe, Arkansas newspaper women at one time when we first started and then became Arkansas press women. And we are an affiliate of the National Federation of Press Women, a, a, a national umbrella organization of communicators. And, uh, you know, it, it's a really good opportunity to... Uh, network um it's kind of hard to understand until you kind of get along in your career the importance of a professional group of belonging to a group it's not just something to put on your resume but it's um, being with people who have the same values of truth of honesty of public service and uh having an opportunity to continue learning uh, we put together um, seminars, we have speakers, uh, we're hosting a national conference next year, we're hosting NFPW, uh, they were supposed to come this year, but the pandemic obviously thwarted that, so we'll be having NFPW uh, next spring, or next summer actually, and it's just a, a great organization to be a part of, um, because we can do so much with it. And when you are president of an organization, you realize, oh, wow, I could have done so much more as a member. So if anybody is a member of an organization of any kind, go reach out to the president of that group and ask them right now, what can you do to help and be more involved? Uh, because at the end of the day, it's about uh, giving people value and recognizing their work and the importance of their work. Uh, we are a statewide organization, and uh, we're not, as I mentioned earlier, we're not just women. We have men uh, members, and our first male members joined in 1977, so we have a history. Uh, we admitted men before other organizations admitted women. So that's kind of a, a, a moment of pride there. Um, so we, we're not just reporters. We have people involved in education. We have uh, public relations members. We have authors, bloggers, uh, you know, all different types of communicators are able to be a part of Arkansas Press Women. So one of the, I will now only shift gears here talking about the ballot issues. One of the really just useful services that you provide to the community is informing them about the issues that are going to be on the ballot. And you had an appearance in one of our JBU Con Department classes about a month ago, and you talked about this. When it comes to issues on the ballot, there's really a lot of spin. There's a lot of just different agendas at play there, and both sides are definitely pushing for their agenda to be the one that wins out. 
your job really is to kind of cut through all that polarization, all that spin, and provide a neutral, just fact-based uh, overview of the ballot issues at hand. What does it take really just to be able to cut through all of that polarization, all of that spin, and provide neutral, fact-based uh, just overviews of what's going to be on the ballot? Well, that's the first spin in the first place. A lot of those Arkansas ballot issues don't garner attention. Uh, they might not be uh, discussed or there might be one or two flying under the radar that not many people are aware of. And that's the reason why we've been providing information, neutral information and education on ballot issues since 2004, because oftentimes um, some people will see the ballot issues for the first time when they go vote, when they you know see that sample ballot taped to the door. Uh, they might be surprised to find something on their ballot in the first place. So our goal is first to make people aware that there are issues, there are policy issues that they're deciding, and then to provide them with the information that they need to make a confident decision. Uh, we're not telling people how to vote, uh, just giving them the information uh, and the answers to the questions that they might have so that they can participate in the process. Arkansas is one of 15 states where citizens can refer, or I'm sorry, they can collect signatures to put something on the ballot, a constitutional amendment, a state law, or a referendum, in addition to it coming from the legislature. And so what we do, you know, um, if it's from the legislative side, we, just like anybody else, uh, we watch the, the legislature, look at the bills that they file, uh, go attend the committee hearings or watch them online and listen and, and hear what the supporters are saying and hear what the opponents are saying. We look through all the bills uh, line by line, just dissecting, okay, well, how many sections are there? What would this issue do? We talk to the supporters and opponents to get more information about it. And so just talking and uh, reviewing all the materials out there that provides a, a, a good way to kind of cut through or to better understand the intent uh, from the opponent and the supporter side. So that's what's unique, I think, about the voter guide that we put out is it's not, you know, something that just something that we're writing, but we have other people review it. We have the supporters and opponents. We ask them to, say, to look at and say, you know, is this accurate? Um, is there any possible, do you see any bias in here? Because we don't want to introduce any bias into our materials. And uh, one word can be, um, you know, understood by two people in completely different ways. So that's why we do that review. And then the same thing on the citizen initiative side. Uh, we, you know, pay attention out there on social media to see who's sharing what, who's um, submitting things to the Secretary of State's office. Um, there was a big change last year in the process. Uh, previously, all of the citizen initiatives were submitted to the Attorney General for review before a group could go out and collect signatures. The Attorney General was responsible for saying this ballot title is uh, clear and understandable and not misleading or not partisan. So um, the, one of the reasons why uh, some of these ballot issues are 900 words long is uh, the citizen initiatives have to explain all the changes that they propose. And uh, when you go vote, you see the ballot title and the popular name, and that is it. 
But there's a lot of law behind both the legislative proposals and the initiatives um, that you won't see uh, unless you do some extra homework. So we do the same thing. You know, we, we pay attention. We um, read. We I mean, some of these uh, proposals are 15 to 20 pages long, and we go through them with a highlighter, and we just dissect it like we would anything else. And uh, read more about the subject, try to understand the subject so that we can ask informed questions of the sponsors and of the opponents. And then we um, put them together in a, a neutral, very basic language of, you know, what's this going to do? What does a for vote mean? What does an against vote mean? And I think when you take that approach, when you take the, the, the dissecting approach of, okay, well, Here's one sentence. What will this do? Here's another sentence. Here's what this will do. You don't fall victim to spin, if there is any. Um, you uh, end up with more of a down-the-middle presentation of the facts. Now I want to talk about the ballot issues here in the state of Arkansas. We'll hit each one point by point in a second, but would you please summarize what all will be on the ballot here in Arkansas? Well, Arkansas voters have three proposed constitutional amendments to decide when they cast their ballot this fall. And those three proposals have come from the legislature. Uh, Arkansas is one of 15 states where citizens can initiate a ballot issue uh, as well as the legislature. Uh, so they can refer a constitutional amendment, a state law, or a referendum. And this year we initially had six issues three from the legislature, three from citizen process, uh, but those three issues from the citizen process have since been disqualified by the Arkansas Supreme Court. So we've got those three ballot issues left in the legislature. Now I do want to hit on this real quick before we move on to the three that made it. Uh, can you expand, please, on why those issues, though, that didn't make the cut, why they didn't make it through? So the issues that uh, came through the legislature Sorry, the issues that came through the citizen initiative process uh, were disqualified after there were challenges to uh, the signatures that they've turned in. Um, you know, if you're a ballot issue group, you have to uh, collect a certain number of signatures across the state. So for a constitutional amendment, you need 10% of the people who voted in the last governor's election. And um, that this year was about uh, 89,000 voter signatures. And so they, you know, went out, they collected their signatures, they turned in their signatures, and um, there's some paperwork rules in place that say uh, the, the paid canvassers to go get those signatures have to submit documentation that they've undergone a background check, uh, you know, a legal background check to show that they haven't been convicted of any um, fraud or any other um, problems. And uh, when the sponsors went to uh, turn in all the signatures, they said, hey, you know, um, we have uh, timely acquired the background check. And uh, pretty quickly, um, the state and uh, other opponents to the issue said, well, timely acquired is not the same thing as passing the background check. And the courts agreed. And so all of the signatures uh, collected by those canvassers were thrown out and um, they didn't have enough signatures in the end to for the ballot. Now let's move forward here talking about the three issues that will be on the ballot part of the discussion, the conversation here when we go to vote. There's been a lot of talk, particularly about issue one and issue three, 
just going off topic here, to a certain degree, I was watching Monday Night Football this week, and I saw an ad for issue one uh, for, let's say, the pro-road side of it. Uh, so let's just start there. Would you please explain the two sides here on issue one? Can you give us a summary of what's being discussed here and maybe the pros and cons of each side? So issue one is a constitutional amendment that would make permanent a half-cent sales tax that currently funds road work and bridge work for the state, counties, and cities. Uh, voters in 2012 approved a temporary sales tax to do uh, create or raise funds for those uh, entities, and uh, that sales tax is expiring in uh, 2023. So issue one proposes to make that half-cent tax permanent. So uh, supporters say, you know, this is not raising the, the sales tax rate. It, it'll stay at 6.5% for state sales tax. Uh, whereas opponents are saying, no, it's a new tax. And, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, either someone might not uh, want to pay the tax bill or some don't think that um, the, the revenue will go towards projects that they think are important. Um, maybe some projects that they don't like. Um, there's a lot of talk about Interstate 30 uh, in Little Rock and how some of the funds uh, would probably go to that. Uh, but supporters point out, you know, that these funds um, not only will help the state's infrastructure system, but that cities and counties rely on the funding for their local road work, uh, local roads and bridges. Um, so. Uh, you can see, you know, there's a lot of support from county and city governments. They're passing resolutions in favor of it. Uh, groups that work um, with uh, road construction uh, are in favor of it. Um, but then, you know, on the opposition, you've got people who are against the Interstate 30 project and then people who just um, don't want to continue to pay a tax or some people who said, hey, this is supposed to be a temporary tax, um, so let's not put it in the Constitution. So one side essentially is wanting to end the tax while the other is just wanting to continue it. It's not getting raised. It's not you know, being tweaked mm -hmm. in any way. It's just whether it should be furthered or not or continued, I should say. Right, whether it should be permanent or not. Because uh, the temporary tax expires regardless uh, because that's the way it was set up. So um, issue one would provide a seamless uh, transition to a, a permanent tax. So uh, half cent would expire in June 2023, and then if this were to be approved, half tax would take effect in July 2023. So, you know, there wouldn't be any um, uh, days without that tax in effect. And, you know, the opponents were talking, about, um, you know, for some people, they I've read where they've said, you know, I really support road work and everything, but I just don't want it in the Constitution. So there's a variety of reasons why um, some people might be opposed to it, as well as people who are in favor of it. So if the tax does end, uh, does this mean that less effort will be put forward in the roads and making them safer, things like that? Well, if this tax were to fail, the state would not have as much funding um, as they would like to continue road construction and maintenance uh, of roads and bridges in the state. And then our cities and counties would also see their turnback funds um, decrease. Uh, they, they receive, you know, funding for uh, roads and, and, and bridges from the state. And so um, th their budgets would uh, have to be trimmed back to to match that decrease in funding. All right, so now I want to move on to issue number two here. Of the three, this is the one I've seen the least amount of just discussion on, 
But I find it to be interesting because it is on the subject of term limits, which is a hot topic in some areas. Uh, so what do each sides believe regarding issue number two? Can you give me kind of a summary of that? Well, term limits is a hot topic in Arkansas. Arkansas voters actually approved term limits back in 1992, but uh, changes to the term limits law have been on the ballot or proposed you know, several times since then. Uh, so right now in Arkansas, our senators and representatives can serve up to 16 years in office, and then they're done. Uh, so we have what we call a lifetime term limit. Uh, once they reach that maximum number of years, they can't go back for re-election. Uh, so issue two would change that. It would allow legislators to come back um, throughout their life as, as long as they're re-elected. Uh, but the maximum number of years that they could serve would be 12 years in a row. And then they would have to sit out uh, and they could come back and serve in office again four years later. And then, you know, again, 12 years, four years, 12 years, four years. So that... Um, uh, lifetime limit uh, would be eliminated. And it's interesting because this actually came from the legislature and uh, a lot of people are a bit surprised, like, well, you know, why would the legislature change term limits? Uh, you, you kind of just have to go back in, in time. Uh, term limits were very popular in Arkansas they, when they were approved. And uh, ever since 2014, when we uh, voters approved a, a term limit change um, from very strict uh, time frames in the Senate and the House to 16 years in whatever way they want to serve. There's been a group out there that's wanted to change it back. And so they have been advocating, uh, collecting signatures. They've tried several times to get uh, a more strict version of time limits back on the ballot. Um, they haven't been successful, but um, they were trying again last year. And uh, the sponsor of this in the legislature said, well, you know, we they kind of need to get out ahead of this group. And so, okay, uh, if you didn't like 16 years, well, let's offer something different. Let's offer a compromise, uh, 12 years. And that would allow people to come back. Um, you know, if, if you serve in office in your 30s and 40s and, you know, life takes its course and you want to come back later in your 60s uh, and you've got something still to offer, well, under the existing time limits, um, you know, there's, you couldn't because there's those lifetimes. So supporters see this as kind of a compromise, a way to recognize um, support for term limits, but then also uh, remove that strict lifetime limit. Uh, whereas opponents, um, you know, there, there hasn't been a lot of opposition out there to this, um, but opponents, um, for several reasons, one, believe that there shouldn't be any term limits. They think, you know, the election is the term limit itself, the decider there. Uh, or other groups might uh, want to go back to that strict level, uh, or they might not want to give up those lifetime term limits. Uh, so, you know, that ballot issue group that was trying to get something, um, they, they too were called the Arkansas Term Limits Amendment. And um, they just, they didn't get signatures um, to be able to, to put it on the ballot this year. So what are the perceived pros and cons of just amending the term limits? Is there any sort of pros and cons that go with that? Well, as I mentioned, uh, supporters uh, say that, you know, having that lifetime limit that we have right now is a bit extreme um, and that they uh, want to uh, recognize the interest in term limits, but then also have the ability for people to come back later on in life. Uh, Arkansas is 
one of the few states that actually has a lifetime limit on what um, they can serve in the state legislature. Um, but then, you know, the cons to that, opponents say that, you know, that they want lifetime term limits to stay in place um, and that they don't think people should be able to come back. So I was reading in passing here a few days ago that this issue could still get striped from the ballot. Is that true? And if so, why? Or am I providing old information and it is going to be on the ballot? Well, so there's an opponent to this issue, um, as well as issue three. Uh, this person is challenging both uh, legislative issues over the title, the, the title that the legislature put on there. So when you go vote, you see that popular name and the ballot title. Uh, well, the, this uh, person says that um, the title doesn't give you enough information to make a decision, um, that it's lacking information. Um, that they, they took that to the Pulaski County Circuit Court, and the judge there uh, rejected their uh, efforts and said, you know, no, there's a different standard that the legislature is held to when writing ballot titles than citizen initiative groups. Um, that's why you see citizen initiative titles be so much longer because they have to spell out all the changes to the Constitution that their proposal would make, but the legislature um, doesn't have that same standard. Uh, so they lost in circuit court and they have appealed to the Arkansas Supreme Court, and that case is still ongoing as of today. And, uh, you know, there hasn't been a decision yet. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, will, will there be a decision by Election Day? Will the lawsuit just be moot? You know, we'll see. Um, but so they, they're challenging issue two as well as issue three over the title. Now I want to move to issue number three here, which is, I would say, the most polarizing of them all on the ballot. I've seen some Internet sites call this the petition killer. Uh, that's obviously a very biased nickname, but I've seen both sides on this. You obviously have the ones calling it the petition killer. But one of our own senators, Senator Tom Cotton, has been very vocal uh, for voting no on issue number three. He's made multiple tweets on it, or voting yes on issue three, I should say. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, so he tweeted, I'm just going to go through here. I'm looking at a thread he had on September 9th. He tweeted, this election, Arkansans will have the chance to vote on issue three to reform the process for changing the Arkansas Constitution Issue 3 would help prevent liberal billionaires like George Soros from trying to rig our elections. Issue 3 would protect Arkansas's royal counties and make the process for amending our Constitution fair and transparent. And then finally, all Arkansans should vote yes on Issue 3 to protect our Constitution. So obviously you have two very vocal sides on this. I mean, this is a lot to just get into, but Ms. Higgins, would you please explain what Issue 3 is referring to and what's on the table and why some like Senator Cotton want to vote yes on Issue 3 and why some that are calling it the petition killer want to see this uh, get struck down? Well, we've got to go back into history and, and look at the context of the citizen initiative process. Um, Arkansas is one of 15 states where citizens can refer a constitutional amendment, a, a state law, or a referendum to the voters in addition to the legislature. And Arkansas is one of three states in the South that have this process. And the, the citizen initiative process, um, some call direct democracy, goes back into the early 1900s when states in the West uh, started passing this process to allow uh, citizens the opportunity to bring things to the voters, um, mostly because, you know, there was a concern about um, at that time, you know, like the legislature, either they're not listening or 
Um, they want to have an equal say in some of the issues. And so Arkansas adopted this process as well. Um, we're coming up on 100 years. And, you know, there was a ballot issue in 1920 that was approved by voters to create this process. And then in 1925, it was solidified by an Arkansas Supreme Court opinion that um, that upheld the law, essentially. Uh, and, and so over time, you know, over these years, um, ballot issues have come from both sides. Uh, to change the Arkansas Constitution, uh, the only way to do it is with a vote by the people. The only way to change it is through a constitutional amendment. Um, Arkansas has proposed several new constitutions throughout the years. You know, our constitution dates back to 1874. And if you're not going to amend it, then you have to replace it. But voters have rejected those proposed new constitutions several times. And our, our voter guide kind of just highlights uh, when that took place. Uh, so that, that does leave this process. And uh, in over the past decade, just... Uh, you know, the different groups that have been involved in the issues um, seem to be uh, on opposite sides. Um, and there's been some changes to the state law that flushes out the process for canvassers. So the, the process has been made more difficult over the last decade. There's been more layers or more complexity added to the process that's used to put something on the ballot. Um, but so issue three, what it would do is uh, it would make changes to the citizen initiative and to the legislative side of it. So for the legislature, it would say there needs to be 12 additional votes from uh, the General Assembly to place something on the ballot. So instead of a majority, it would now be, uh, you know, a little bit higher, three-fifths. And uh, on the citizen side, it would... Um, it would uh, change the deadline for when voter signatures are due. Uh, right now, the signatures are due in July of the election year, and this would say that they're due in January 15th of the election year. Uh, it would also um, say set a deadline for when people could file a lawsuit challenging the citizen initiative. There's, there's not a deadline right now, so it would set an April 15th deadline. Uh, the, the legislature, there, would, there still would not be a deadline to file a lawsuit challenging one of their proposals. Um, and then it would eliminate what we call the cure period or the time that ballot issue groups have to go out and collect more signatures in case um, something's wrong with one of the ones they turned in. So, for example, if uh, you know someone signed the petition as Mickey Mouse, obviously that's not going to count. Or if someone is not a registered voter, their signature is not going to count. And so ballot issue groups, um, if they turn in at least 75% of their signatures are valid, they get 30 days to go out and collect more to cure any problems. And so issue three would eliminate that cure period process. Um, it would eliminate it at the state level, the county level, and the city level. Because uh, remember, there are county ballot issues and city ballot issues. Um, and then one of the bigger changes issue three would do is it would increase the number of counties where voter signatures must be collected. So right now, if you're a ballot issue group, you have to go out and collect 10% of the number of people who voted for governor in the last election. So that's, um, this year was, was 89,151 voter signatures, you know, good, valid signatures, no problems with them. 
And so you can't just go to Fayetteville. You can't just go to Little Rock and, you know, get all of those signatures at one place. But, you know, go to a Razorback game and you can get 80,000 signatures. But the Constitution doesn't allow that. Um, they have to go and collect signatures from at least 15 counties across the state. And in those 15 counties, they need to collect signatures equaling the number of people, 5% of the number of people who voted for governor in the last election. So this proposal would increase the number of from 15 counties across the state to 45 counties across the state. And so that's, you know, that's a lot wrapped up in there. Um, another thing it would do is it would uh, eliminate the publication requirements um, that exist right now that ballot titles from the legislature have to be published in newspapers in every county for six months ahead of the election. And it would be replaced with um, that they would be published in the manner provided by law. So the legislature could go back and flesh out what those publication requirements would be. And I bring that one up because I know that there's been, you know, some opposition to issue three specifically for that publication requirement being deleted. Um, but then, you know, people have been saying, some of the, the, the opposition has been saying that this would make it too hard to get something on the ballot, um, that uh, going and collecting this many signatures in 45 counties would make it to where only groups with a lot of money, a lot of backing um, from those outside groups uh, to get something on the ballot. Um, so they argue that it would actually do the opposite of what supporters say. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the sponsors, um, the supporters of this say that uh, it should be harder to change the constitution of our state, that, um, you know, that they're seeing too many uh, issues being pushed by groups with a lot of money that might not be representing what our Kansans are wanting uh, to put out there. So you've got, you know, uh, two different sides of, you know, should we make it harder? Should we make it easier? Should we leave it the same? Um, there's a lot of history um, between those groups and a lot of, uh, of context that goes along with, with that title. Yeah, and you say it, it would make it harder for things to get on the ballot. That definitely is true. There are 75 counties in the state of Arkansas right now. You have to get a certain percentage of signatures in 15, uh, but with this it would go to 45. That would triple it making it three-fifths of the counties. That would, without a doubt, make it difficult to really push anything forward. Uh, so it's pretty obvious why some are sounding the alarm on this. I also want to talk to you about you know, what some like Senator Cotner saying. Uh, you did mention that there are there is some concern among the side that wants to push this through, vote yes, that uh, there are certain you know outside interests. He mentions George Soros and other billionaires uh, trying to, quote-unquote, rig the elections. Uh, what do you make of that? Is there is that an actual threat, perhaps? Are people worried about that? And does that go into trying to push forward issue three? Well, people can go to the website of the Arkansas Ethics Commission and pull up the financial report for all of the ballot issue groups that are out there. So the moment you start spending money to support or oppose a ballot issue group, you have to file with the Ethics Commission. And you have to file, you know, repeatedly, uh, you know, where is your money coming from? Where is the money going? So people can go look for themselves to, to see who's donating money to these groups, um, who's, uh, where the money's being spent. Um, you know, there, there is that mention that, you know, outside groups will come in. Um, but 
uh, you know, there, in recent years, we've had medical marijuana on the ballot. We've had um, minimum wage on the ballot. Uh, and those were brought by citizen groups uh, that did receive funding from, you know, outside of Arkansas groups. But most proposals um, do get some, you know, funding from um, many, many, many different groups. Uh, that, that's why I refer people to the, to the Ethics Commission website so they can go and, and see for themselves who is um, submitting uh, donations or supporting things. Yeah, and I think the whole topic of, you know, who's supporting these types of issues, what gets pushed through, uh, what type of money it takes, that is a concern, I think, from both sides. Because I'm reading here a report from Arkansas Times the other day uh, where Kristen Foster, the leader of Protect Arkansas's Rights, uh, put the current initiative process ensures that all Arkansans, not just politicians and the lobbyists who back them, have a say over the policies put before voters. Uh, so this is a big issue here, very polarized. We definitely have two sides here. Uh, very vocal as well, much more than they are on issue one and issue two. So with all things considered here, why do you believe this issue is so polarized? And if issue three passes, I mean, does that really just, what what does that mean then for the future of ballot issues and getting it on the ballot in the state of Arkansas? Well, it goes back to context and history. Uh, you know, uh, there's been uh, in the past couple of years, the, approval for selling medical marijuana, for increasing minimum wage, for um, increasing casino gaming in the state. Um, there's been uh, removal of uh, ballot issues um, from the legislature and the citizen initiative process involving tort reform. Um, so there, there's been a lot of concern um, from people who are opposed to these uh, proposals, um, organizations. Um, if, if you go and look and see who's filed uh, in favor of issue three, you see the State Chamber of Commerce, you see the Farm Bureau. Uh, they, they had some, they've had lots of concerns um, and they've been um, official opponents of a lot of these ballot issues um, that came through the citizen initiative process. And uh, after they've come through, you know, they, they just like anybody else go okay well what can we do for next time and well for next time it's okay well issue three that would address some issues that would um create a deadline for um lawsuits um, so that maybe something might be struck from the ballot earlier before money is spent however you know you can you can put a deadline in for filing a lawsuit but there's not a deadline for the court to rule the court is in charge of whenever they make their ruling uh, so you just have groups that um, have been in such opposition to what's come through over the past couple of years. And so this is just a way for them to support making changes um, to prevent um, more constitutional amendments that they might not be in favor of. Yeah, so basically to summarize the three issues that are going to be on the ballot here, and then we'll move forward to some other issues. Uh, issue number one involves the sales tax, how it's being used, uh, whether it's utilized for the roads. Issue two is about term limits and whether or not it should be amended. And issue three is about how easy or how hard it should be to get something on the ballot uh, with issue three if it passes through. Uh, the biggest thing for me is yeah. just the amount of counties. Uh, it's right now 15 out of 75. 
it goes, it triples to 45. And then, as you said, there's a lot of other things that go along with that to make it more difficult to get on the ballot. Very polarized issue there. There are a lot of groups that have come out saying vote no on this. I've read some different uh, pieces from the Arkansas Times as well, encouraging people to vote no. But then you have people like Senator Cotton, who I would argue is one of the most well-known conservative politicians in the country right now, telling Arkansans to vote yes on this. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Now I want to move forward here uh, while we still have time here to ask you, uh, we have a lot of JBU students that listen to this. This is very uh, oriented to them, especially with this election. We're going to have a lot of first-time voters. This is my only my second time voting. So what advice would you give to first-time or second-time voters about examining the ballot? I know when I went to go vote back in 2018 at the midterms, I didn't know a whole lot about just the issues. Really, the only election, I'll say, the only race that I just knew a whole bunch about was the governor race with Asa Hutchinson and the two people running against him. Didn't know a lot about the ballot issues, and I'm sure a lot of folks here on the JBU campus are the same way. What advice would you give to first or second time voters about examining the ballot and being informed about the issues? Well, that's why our voter guide exists in the first place. It's because so often the issues are uh, flying under the radar for, because of so many uh, campaigns for candidates. You know, if you're in a presidential election year and you have a ballot issue, it's really difficult to get attention uh, and to, to explain whether you're a supporter or an opponent um, what the issue is. And so, for you know, not even just first-time voters, all voters, um, because even older voters are guilty of this as well, um, of only paying attention to what's been on TV, you know, on commercials or now on social media. So every voter should take some time to look at their sample ballot. That's something that they can do. They can get a copy of their sample ballot from the county clerk. Um, you can go, uh, if you Google Arkansas Voter View, you'll pull up the website that the Secretary of State has put up that you can uh, put in your information, your name and your date of birth and pull up your sample ballot. We didn't used to have sample ballots that easily accessible to us. But, so now it is much more accessible. So go look up that sample ballot and go down the list and see what the, the down ballot, the bottom of the ballot, um, what those races are. Uh, in a lot of communities, you have constables. You know, well, what's a constable? Do some research, look into that or you have judges that you're voting for, um, you know, there's there's not that many resources out there. So you've got to do your homework. Uh, my, my favorite, of course, is pick up a, a newspaper. Pick up that local newspaper and read it. And not just at election time, but year-round, because then you, just, you notice some of the issues as they start to progress before they get to be on the ballot. There's a lot of discussion before the election before something is on the ballot. So read that sample ballot, take some time, uh, go over it all. Uh, you know, a lot of research has said that uh, with ballot issues, um, because they're not necessarily a direct partisan issue that you can tell as a voter, that a lot of times people make their decisions based on what groups are supporting them. So uh, again, you can, you know, if there's groups that you, uh, agree with their values or their mission, you might look and see what they're saying about the issue um, or, or vice versa. If there's a group that you don't necessarily um, affiliate with, you know, you can look and see what they're saying about the issue. Uh, so just taking time, 
researching for yourself and not just waiting till election day and pulling it up on your phone or um, showing up to vote and seeing the sample ballot taped to the wall and then go, oh, what's this issue? Um, voting is a, you know, it's a privilege. It's, it's something that, you know, citizens, um, you know, believe is, is their right. So treat it respectfully. Take that time to, to do your homework and not just make it a spur of the moment decision. Yeah, and, and I agree it's important to be knowledgeable of these types of things, uh, especially for the uh, ballot issues, because I know the big focus right now is on the presidential election. Uh, Senator Cotton in this state is also running for re-election. Uh, we also have the uh, uh, folks in Congress running, Steve Womack and people like that. So it's easy to kind of get sidetracked and look at the bigger names that are associated with it. Obviously, you got the uh, Donald Trumps, the Joe Bidens, the Tom Cottons, the Steve Womacks of the world and of the state of Arkansas. Uh, but with the ballot issues, they are all very important. And I would even say that with these ballot issues, they have, I would say, a more, more direct impact on our lives than perhaps the presidential race. Would you agree with that? I would definitely agree with that because if you pick up a newspaper or read it online uh, on a weekly basis, you will find articles that you can tie the discussion back to a constitutional amendment. So what's been dominating, you know, the newspaper over the past year or so have been uh, medical marijuana dispensaries, uh, casinos, uh, I mean, even, uh, you know, various lawsuits. Um, A lot of them you can tie back to the policy that was set by a constitutional amendment. Yeah, now I do want to ask about this, too. How important is it, I want to bring this back to the JBU students and just college students and general folks voting in their first or second elections, uh, how important is is it for them to be politically involved, and how can first-time or young voters encourage their family and friends to uh, be politically involved, knowledgeable, and and vote? Well, first of all, it's usually lead by example. So taking the time to uh, educate yourself and to get yourself involved, um, finding out, you know, how can you serve in your community, whether it's, you know, as a poll worker or um, attending, you know, quorum court meetings or city council meetings. Um, because, again, ballot issues are not just constitutional amendments, uh, not just state laws, but also local county ordinances. You're making decisions at the local level. So leading by example. Uh, is a good way to uh, encourage um, your family and friends to um, follow in your path. Uh, if they see that it's important to you, um, then they might go, oh, okay, well, maybe I need to be paying attention too because I see so-and-so is. And um, just, you know, just one word of caution, you know, you always hear about, okay, well, don't talk about politics with people or with that family or Thanksgiving, that kind of thing, um, you know, you can keep it civil and and you can be an example for keeping a a conversation civil or keeping a debate civil um, and uh, leave that Thanksgiving dinner still talking to your relative. So uh, just uh, be that example, do your homework. And um, if you get involved uh, politically um, at any level, it's, you know, about relationship building. And um, now once you know the people in your community who are involved, you might start seeing more information or, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things like when you notice it, you start to notice it more. So when you see, 
oh, hey, you know, my car, wow, my car is really popular in this area. Everybody drives the same model. So you start to pick up and you start to see some of that. Uh, same thing goes for um, being involved with uh, ballot issues or other politics locally. Yes, and it's very important to be politically involved, knowledgeable. Uh, politics, as much as people want to avoid it or not talk about it or discuss it, because I know it's very tough to talk about sometimes, especially when you get to a lot of the national issues going on right now. Uh, but politics has a direct impact on our lives, and to not talk about it, I feel like, is just inconveniencing and shorting yourself and the people around you and your community and whatnot. And now... I know at the threefold, the JBU student newspaper, I think I brought this up earlier, but we're going to be covering the election a lot here in the month before. Got a lot coming up on that front. And I hope to get a lot of people on this show as well that are going to be running for offices. I've been talking to some people about it. More on that later. Stay tuned. Uh, but I do want to wrap this up, Ms. Higgins. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add, maybe on the ballot issues, about how we can get involved, about how, you know, some good resources for learning about the ballot issues, or maybe where we can find you and your work? Uh, yeah, but before I do that, I did just want to say, just touching back on the last question about being politically involved, that uh, when I was a senior in high school in Rogers, um, we had a mayor's race, and um, the man running for mayor and um, the existing mayor, they, they came to our school, and they had a debate, and it was fantastic, and it was our first foray into witnessing that. And now that person is um, Mr. Womack. So, yes. you know, got to witness that from being a youth to, to now him being a representative of ours in Washington, D.C. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you're doing your research on the ballot issues, you can uh, go to our website, uaex.edu slash ballot, and download a voter guide. Um, you can pick them up from your county extension office. Um, you know, our website has a lot of great information. Uh, if you want to find out more about what groups are saying, you know, just start Googling keywords and, and get out there and um, just, uh, you know, look, look to see, you know, what uh, as many, um, as much information as you can. You know, while I claim, you know, please come to our website. We've got great information. I realize we're not the only source of information out there. So there, there's no harm in, in, in looking and exploring and seeing all the variety of information available to you out there. That's a great way to end it off. That's Kristen Higgins, president of Arkansas Press Women. I can't say it enough. It is important to be knowledgeable of everything that will be on the ballot when you go to vote. Your vote makes a big difference, so it is very important to know what you're voting for or against when you make your voice heard at the ballot box. Uh, to summarize, issue number one is about the sales tax. Issue number two is about term limits and whether or not that should be amended. And issue number three is about whether it should be more difficult for issues to make it onto the ballot or not. That's a lot to take in, but Ms. Higgins has helped us out. She's provided some great information on this show about both sides and how it affects you, the listener. And thanks again for your time, Ms. Higgins. I'm sure it was a lot of help for those that aren't as knowledgeable about it. I know that I, going in, did not just have a abundance of knowledge, let's say, about the issues, uh, but you have definitely helped me out a lot. I appreciate it. This has been The Conversation. I'm Maury Phillips. I hope you all enjoyed, and I'll catch you all next time.